um, it all goes back to inflammation and omega-3s are a buffer of inflammation in the body. But like, if we look at that, let's look at what are the top five causes of mortality that if you don't get one of those, you'll likely live closer to 90 to 100 years, legitimately. Like humans aren't meant to die at 74 years for men and 77 for women, you're not. Why is taking a food sensitivity test a crucial step in your health journey? What does it tell you? What can you learn from it? And what changes should you make because of it? You're listening to the Best You Podcast, where we teach you the healthy habits you need to look and feel like your best you. My name is Nick Carrier, and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached over 500 people through my program, The 10-Week Transformation. The 10WT makes it simple for former athletes who struggle to prioritize their health and fitness to regain the confidence in their health that they once had. If this is your first time here, make sure you click follow on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify so you don't miss out on learning the latest and greatest healthy habits to form. After taking my own food sensitivity test and interviewing Dr. Stephen Cabral, I am thoroughly convinced that taking a food sensitivity test is crucial for all of us. It's going to tell you what is causing unneeded excess inflammation in your body. And that might be leading to grogginess, sleep issues, joint pain, brain fog, skin rashes, and more. Dr. Cabral uses functional medicine lab testing and personalized wellness plans to help people rebalance their mind and body to recover from autoimmune, thyroid fatigue, hormone, weight gain, digestive issues, childhood things, mood, skin, and dozens of other hard-to-treat health conditions. I'm so pumped for you guys to listen to this interview and potentially get your own food sensitivity test as well. We at The Best You Podcast have partnered with Dr. Cabral's lab so that you, for a limited time, can save $120 on your food sensitivity test by going to stephencabral.com slash bestyou. Again, stephencabral.com slash bestyou, and you can find the link in the show notes. For now, it's time to get closer and closer to your best you with Dr. Stephen Cabral. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I am super excited about the one and only Dr. Stephen Cabral joining me today. And Dr. Cabral, I have posted about my food sensitivity test on social media and shared it with a lot of my clients, a lot of my friends, a lot of my family and stuff. And everybody is really excited about this interview because everybody, I think, feels like there is some sort of number of foods that they're sensitive to and they can almost like sometimes feel that they are having a negative reaction to or they think they're having a negative reaction to, but they don't exactly know uh, the best steps and everything like that. So anyways, they're very curious about this topic of food sensitivity. So the way that I want to start today is why is food sensitivity to a food sensitivity test such an important part of our health journey? Like why should people do a food sensitivity test in the first place? Yeah. So food sensitivity test is like, it's a baseline foundational based lab that everybody should run. And the reason is, is that we all have to eat food on a daily basis. We enjoy eating food for the most part on a daily basis, but the foods that we put in our body, it, there's no such thing as to like just healthy or not healthy. It's, are the foods healthy for my body? Yes or no. And then we can say, well, um, salmon, that's a great food, right? Like everybody could use more omega threes. Um, let's say, obviously if you're not vegan, right. But you could all say, well, what if you're not, you don't do well digesting the higher amounts of fat? What if you don't do well digesting those specific type of proteins? So it's not always like what foods are best for every human, what foods are best for you. And the nice thing that, that food sensitivities can actually share with you is these foods seem to be okay for your immune system. But I would love to talk about first, if you're open to it, 
that there's actually different types of food sensitivities. There's IgE, IgA, IgM, and IgG. And we test IgG, and I'm happy to explain why. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. So what most people think about with food sensitivities is like, oh, I eat lobster or I eat um, shellfish and I get hives. And yes, that is a sensitivity to that food, but that's more of an IgE reaction. So the IgE is more of the immediate reaction. Someone might have an, have an allergy. An allergy is different than a sensitivity. An allergy could cause anaphylaxis, uh, which is like a that's swelling up of the throat, but it's basically immediate inflammation, too many cytokines, too much histamine, too much produced right away as a reaction to a food. Peanuts is the most obvious, but also strawberries and other things are, are, can cause that as well. So that's an IgE. That's an immediate reaction. You might get a headache right away, brain fog right away, an itchy throat. You might get hives. Uh, you might get really tired. Okay. So we don't run labs for that because it's pretty obvious. You know, as I always talk about it, uh, my wife's like 50, 50, if she's going to get hives and feel terrible after eating shellfish. So I was like, why do you keep doing that to yourself? She's like, well, I love shellfish. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things, but she doesn't need a, a lab to tell her that. Okay. So then we move on to IgM. Not many people test IgM. IgM is a intermediary response, not minutes or hours, but it's around 24 hours as a reaction. And you might start to feel a little bit more fatigued or you get some joint pain or a little skin rash, maybe a headache. And then there's IgG. That's what we test for. And here's why. Um, let's say we're recording this on a Wednesday. If I asked you, what did you eat Sunday night, Monday morning, and all throughout the day on Monday? You may not remember, right? It's, it's difficult. And even if you eat the same types of meals, it's challenging. But that's what you're reacting to today from an immunoglobulin G, IgG. That's what that stands for, part of your immune system. So we have parts of our immune system that react right away and parts that are slower reacting. And so we test for the slower reacting because it doesn't lead to bloating. It doesn't lead to gas. It doesn't lead to indigestion or heartburn and those things. What it leads to is the grogginess, brain fog, low mood, anxiousness, skin rashes, joint pain, poor recovery from exercise because it creates inflammation. And then inflammation is nonspecific. It goes to areas of weakness in the body. So that's why we look at an IgG reaction to the protein. So it has nothing to do with lactose in a food. It has nothing to do with causing bloating. It has everything to do with, does your immune system see this as an outside foreign body that it needs to attack? Mm. And so how, what determines how people, how the inflammation is going to manifest itself in the body? Like, how is it going? What determines whether it leads to grogginess or brain fog or skin rash for some people like why do some people experience it this way and some other people experience that way? That's a great question. So part of it could be, let's say that you just did a really hard workout. Your muscles are already inflamed. Like that's what happens. So if there's microscopic tears in the tissue um, of your skeletal muscle, well, then that needs to be repaired. And so that repair is taking place. Well, that, that's inflammation there. So it compounds that inflammation. But some of it is actually genetic. That's like, this is when genetics matter. So for example, for me, um, in my family, there's rheumatoid arthritis. It's an autoimmune disorder. And it affects usually the, the joints in your thumbs and your fingers first. They can move your elbows and so forth. Well, I had that when I was 17 years old. Now, I don't have it anymore. But if I were to eat a lot of foods I was sensitive to, and I started getting more gut issues, and the inflammation built up in my body, 
I'd start to get the joint pain again in my my thumbs, like I used to have, and in my hands. So, what if it's um, what if you have a uh, low thyroid in your family or Hashimoto's? Well, then the inflammation could go more to your thyroid. So, or lupus, or fibromyalgia, or uh, multiple sclerosis. So, it could go to like any part of your body. And part of that is also based on: is there already a pre-existing injury? If so, okay, lower back pain it's going to be greater with food sensitivities. Or is there a genetic predisposition that it could start to um, manifest more in that area. Mm, I got you. Yeah. So everybody's, like you said, their genetic situation or the current pain that they might be having, it just might exacerbate that if you eat the foods that you're sensitive to. That's interesting. So for example, on my food sensitivity tests that I took, I'm lucky that I think the only thing that I was rated high on or even medium or high on was sesame seeds. Now I don't have sesame seeds a ton of my diet. I don't eat Asian food a ton, but I realize like every once in a while, I don't eat bagels very often, but every once in a while I might have a sesame seed bagel. I do have everything but the bagel seasoning. Um, not a ton, but I would say maybe once or maybe twice a week. And I've never necessarily been able to pinpoint that before in my life. What, if I'm somebody who sees that and I think, I haven't ever been able to realize a negative side effects because of that. And so I'm not going to stop eating sesame seeds because I really like everything but the bagel seasoning. What is your response as to the why I should stop, even though I don't necessarily know what the negative impact is? Yeah, again, that's it's a great question. And so we never knew. So for example, I got very sick when I was 17 years old and over two dozen different doctors and specialists couldn't figure it out started to eventually go to more natural health-based doctors. They were able to understand the different connections, the different areas. I ended up being diagnosed with Addison's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, POTS, uh, insomnia, allergies, all these other things. Okay. So I eventually did get well. So I had to find the right people. I met my mentor and within six months I was better. So like all of that, you know, was amazing. But the thing is, is that we don't always know what true health feels like. Mm -hmm. So even yourself, you're in great shape, you eat well, you exercise, like mindsets where it should be. There are levels to this. I'm in my mid forties right now. I feel better than I ever have. And I started to become that way about six or seven years ago, about six or seven years ago, I really doubled down on getting even healthier and I made and prioritized sleep. I prioritized like a lot of things. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, if I have a cup of coffee in the morning, it's because I want it, not because I need it. And, and I'm like, I used to never be able to, to like miss a night's sleep. I would be a mess the next day. I can miss a night's sleep. I've got two young daughters. Like it's, it's not a problem. So there are levels to it. So all I try to do is help people first get healthy. And then I do something called high-performance health. It's like, how high, how, what level do you want to take this to? You want to start doing sauna? Do you want to start doing some intermittent fasting? Do you want to start like, because we can take this to the next level. So for you, I would say is, yeah, it's probably no big deal because you're eating well everywhere else. You're exercising. You can probably get your sleep dialed in. So our sesame is going to be the end all be all. No, they're not like, it's not going to be a huge deal, but that little bit of inflammation does compound over time. And mm -hmm. so on your lab test, everybody who runs this lab, they probably won't be able to see this on video, but basically there's an optimal zone. We test for 190 foods. There's a um, slight reactivity, moderate reactivity, and then there's high reactivity. And sesame seeds for you are high reactivity. Now we typically see three or four foods. And I want to I answer a couple of your questions. So 
High reactivity means there's no doubt about it. When you eat sesame seeds for the next anywhere from, we can't tell exactly, but 16 hours to 31 hours, you're creating inflammation in your body. If you eat them again, it just continues to compound every day. You do it once a week. Okay. You've got inflammation for the next day, day and a half or so. And then it will start to squall. It'll start to quiet down. So that's how we can look at it. Now, if you have a moderate, if you have a mild reaction, you remove it for six weeks, slowly reintroduce the diet. If it's moderate 12 weeks, then you can start to reintroduce it. See how you feel six months for severe reactivity. So I would say, I know how much you love your bagels. Can we do a different bagel? Can we try something else for six months? And then we add it back in. And the last piece I want to say is this. I've been doing food sensitivities now since I was 19. And it's so, I, when I was 19, I had like, this is not, no exaggeration, over two dozen different food sensitivities because my digestive system was a mess and so was my immune system. But a couple of random ones that would always show up and they show up to today, kidney beans. I don't like kidney beans. I've never eaten kidney beans. Like, honestly, I was probably like 15 the last time I had a kidney bean. It still shows up. And the reason is, is it's not checking for kidney beans. This lab test, basically, it's a couple drops of blood from your finger. That's what it is. Anybody at home could do it. We do it from ages three years old and up. And then at the lab, they take little flecks of that blood and they put it into 190 different vials. And they look at the reactions of the amino acids in the food, in the protein, the protein in the food. So it doesn't know sesame seeds, but it knows the amino acid sequence of the proteins that it's looking at. And so they can be cross reactivity. So your body can absolutely look at and attack things that you're not even eating in your diet. Now, the good news is you're like, I don't eat kidney beans, so I'm not, be, I'm not you know, going after them. But if, my, if I did eat kidney beans, there would certainly be an exacerbation of that. Now, the other thing is food sensitivities, unlike food allergies, can typically go away. And it takes mm -hmm. six months to maybe 12 months um, but you can remove even more severe ones. And so that's that's good news for most people. Gotcha. Yeah, just to be clear, I have not eaten sesame seeds at all since I've gotten my results. So uh, I'm making sure I stick to that protocol. Um, but no, I think I'm really glad that you explained it the way that you explained it with regards to we don't necessarily know what true health or optimal health always looks like because we don't necessarily, we, we don't have necessarily something to contrast it against. And, you know, I think about that a lot when people are people point out somebody who looks great but they eat like crap and i'm like okay but they actually could look they could maybe look a whole lot better they could perform a whole lot better they could feel a whole lot better than they currently are and so you can't compare yourself to somebody else you have to compare you to your potential and they have to compare themselves to their potential so i'm really gr glad that you explained it like that so it's such an important distinct uh it's important to distinguish those two those two things. Now, I kind of want to go a little bit when I had my one-on-one uh, -on -one consultation after my food sensitivity test. They told me the different there's a difference between an immune-based reaction and a di digestive-based reaction, and I think that was a little bit of the difference between maybe the IgG, IgM, IgG thing. But talk to us about the difference maybe more in depth about an immune-based response or a digestive-based response to food. Yeah, that's, and I'm glad your um, Equal Life coach went through that. That's really important, or your integrative health practitioner. And the reason is, is that sometimes we eat a food and we get bloating or constipation or gas or acid reflux. That really has not a lot to do with the food itself. It can, but it's a digestive imbalance. So for example, you have dairy, like you didn't show up high on dairy on this but a lot of people have an IgE reaction to dairy. That means they have dairy, 
and all of a sudden they get bloating or they get gas or whatever it might be. Okay. That you're reacting most likely to the lactose in dairy. So that's a specific carbohydrate in dairy. So maybe you have um, yogurt that doesn't have a lot of carbs in it. It's just like fat, maybe some protein. Um, or, you know, you have um, a fermented cheese, which takes out a lot of the lactose, right? So like, we're just looking at different things that might not cause an issue. But even if it does, that's more digestive based. So what we have to think about is that when we put a food in our stomach, if it's not just fruit on an empty stomach, or maybe like some light starch, which is digested in about 30 minutes to 60 minutes max, it's hanging out in your stomach for a couple hours. And so we need to say, do you have strong uh, enzymes like from the food itself uh, or starch from mixing with saliva? Do you have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach to break down those proteins so they don't begin to putrefy or stay there for too long? And then downtracked as well. Do you have enough bile, which mixes with the acid as it comes out of your stomach to break apart a lot of the fats and break down those nutrients? Because if the digestion is off, well, you can always feel bloated. Now, is it sometimes food sensitivities? Sometimes, but it's usually weak stomach acid, um, liver congestion, not enough bile flow. Uh, it can be candida yeast overgrowth in the intestines, and then it can be um, bacterial overgrowth in the intestines as well. Sometimes parasites, sometimes H. pylori, but we see yeast overgrowth and bacterial overgrowth all the time. So that's a separate test. Uh, that's called the candida metabolic and vitamins test. That's a great lab to look at those. Uh, it's separate from food sensitivities, but if you're always feeling bloated, always kind of have gas and, and indigestion, that's important to look for overgrowth uh, rather than just food sensitivities. Mm. There's one particular response that I know is uh, a important topic of conversation, and that's like skin health, maybe a particular acne, just skin health in general. Can that come from both a like a digestive response and an immune-based response, like both the IgE and IgG can negative skin issues come from both? Yeah. Acne, especially as an adult has a large inflammatory component to it. So it can, it can literally be from either hormones or all sorts of complications from inflammation. Now the inflammation could be from heavy metals. It could be from food sensitivities. It could be from SIBO, could be from yeast overgrowth, could be from parasites, but yeah, there's a very large immune inflammation component to acne as an adult and foods just compound that. So I wrote a book a while ago called the rain barrel effect. And it's like inflammation, like you eating sesame seeds, no big deal. Cause you're not that inflamed. Like you live a healthy life. You're, you're doing well. And so you, you create a little bit of filling up of the rain barrel. Right. But it doesn't overflow, but let's mm. say you like, you went out, you had alcohol, you ate, you know, pizza with sausage and all sorts of stuff on over the weekend. You had your sesame bagels, on Monday, come around, you might have some acne, you might have oilier skin, you might end up with a little dandruff, like all sorts of like random things. Like, how did this happen? Well, a lot of inflammation. So it's inflammation is not a root cause of a disease and it's not specific. That's why when people try to palliate inflammation, I'm like, I don't know, I'd be careful with that. Sure, I don't want you to have pain. I don't want you to have a lot of symptoms, but you want to find out what the root cause of that inflammation is. And pain or, or these outward symptoms can sometimes be what you're looking for to ensure you're actually getting at the root cause of what the issue is. Mm. Yeah, we've we've talked about in the word inflammation a lot for people who either have heard it a lot, don't understand what it means, and just to kind of frame up the conversation maybe a little bit more, how would you simply describe somebody what inflammation actually is? Yeah, that's, and that's the funny thing because it doesn't, it's, um, it's almost like an enigma. It comes out as a pain or swelling or whatever it is 
of a part of your body that essentially is under uh, attack from the immune system, but not necessarily in a negative way. I mean, the best way to think about it is um, you get stung by a bee in your foot and it blows like uh, blows up like a balloon. Well, that's inflammation. That's all the fluid, white blood cells, histamines, cytokines, everything going that area, not because it's doing anything wrong, but it's actually there to protect you, clear out the venom for lack of a better term, and to repair the tissue that was damaged. So that's an overreaction to a bee sting, but that's what inflammation is. Now on smaller levels, when you're sore from a workout, part of it's inflammation. Um, when you wake up after going out and like I said, having some alcohol, having some fast food, and your face is a little bit more puffy, that's inflammation. You're retaining more water. And so uh, inflammation is essentially an assault on the body, typically caused by immune white blood cell cleanup. Mm. And so inflammation is the body's response to kind of get back to where, how it wants to actually be. But sometimes if you have excess inflammation, then it just causes a whole lot of more problems inside of the body that sometimes don't allow ever your body to get kind of back to that middle ground, that homeostasis. Yeah, hundred percent. Like inflammation is our friend, no doubt about it. And I know that might sound kind of strange because inflammation causes your stuffy nose when you get a cold or it causes your sore throat or it causes your joint pain. But there's always an underlying root cause as to why the immune system is so turned on. Okay. Well, you got a virus, so you have a stuffy nose, right? Or you've got a bacterial infection or whatever it might be uh, in your throat. You might have strep throat with your joints. Again, you might have rheumatoid arthritis. Well, 90% of all autoimmune has at least in some part to it, some intestinal permeability, a leaky gut. So some inflammation in the gut where proteins are spilling out and the immune system then is exacerbated. Well, in conventional medicine, again, I think conventional medicine is amazing for acute-based life-saving care, but they have no answers when it comes to chronic-based illness and disease. That's why I was sick for 10 years. That's why many people suffer today where they take immunobiological drugs that shut down parts of their immune system so they don't get the inflammation. Well, that seems to me a little crazy because then they could die of pneumonia or other things that, um, that they shouldn't necessarily die from. So I like to look at things from really a root cause level, figure out people's underlying root cause imbalances and food sensitivities are one part of that equation. Yeah. Well, perfect. Actually segue of where I wanted to go next. It is one part of the equation. One particular culprit that could potentially cause increasing, increased levels of inflammation. You talked about other things like fast foods, but what are some other things that cause high levels of inflammation, both that maybe people actually know about, but then maybe some things that people don't know about that are causing them unneeded inflammation? Sure. So although antibiotics can be life-saving, every time you take antibiotics, you are most likely imbalancing your gut flora. So the amount of good gut bacteria to negative gut bacteria. And it also allows yeast or candida to overgrow. We naturally all have some of that present in our intestines, but it shouldn't be overgrown. But when you take antibiotics, you allow, as the bacteria is killed, both good and bad in the intestines, you allow more space. And in that space, yeast can begin to overgrow. So that in the long run could cause more intestinal permeability. It could cause more gas and bloating and poor nutrient absorption. And so that's a problem. Um, a lot of times people have weak stomach acid. We spoke about that. So they're not able to break down 
all the good foods they're eating and extract the B vitamins they need, like B12 and folate or calcium, magnesium, and zinc. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so when you don't get those nutrients, now you're not able to buffer stress as well. So then you go to have a couple drinks with your friends and you're like, wow, why do I feel this so much more than I used to? Well, you're not getting as much of those, what are called methyl donors or other factors that help your body process alcohol and toxins out of your liver as quickly. So you actually start to feel older simply because you're becoming more nutrient deficient. So you can't keep up with the, the stressors, which could be the lack of sleep, the poor food choices, the alcohol, the whatever, as well as before, because as we get older, we become a little bit more nutrient deficient and we begin to accumulate a little bit more toxicities. So the goal is to always keep emptying that rainbow, removing toxicities and replenishing those nutrients, especially if you still want to live an active lifestyle. Like I still like to run. I still like to exercise, lift weights. So if I'm going to do all the output, you know, infrared sauna, then I need to make sure I'm getting in just as much nutrients. And that doesn't mean macronutrients with carbs, fats, and protein. It means vitamins, minerals, omega-3s, vitamin D, like all the nutrients that my body needs beyond calories in order to repair tissue. Yeah. So give us every, we've talked a lot about what kind of not to do and, and food sensitivities and this, that stuff. Let's continue to expand on what you just said, like vitamins, minerals, the micronutrients, vitamin D, omega-3. Talk to us about maybe like three, four, five of those that you feel like are really important and how we can make sure that we are replenishing the body and we are nutrifying the body with those things. So I try to get my seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day, about two cups of fruit and the rest of it is vegetables. So typically I'm getting a couple cups of fruit in the morning with my smoothie. And then I'm doing about three cups of veggies at lunch, about three cups at dinner. So for me, that's an easy way that I, that I just get it in. Um, and then my protein can be plant-based um, chickpeas or beans or so. And then I also get in some either fish or meat uh, or something like that for a paleo-based style protein at night. But I allow people to kind of create the diet that works for them as long as it's clean, whole food, nutrition, great. And then they can adjust their carbs based on metabolism, body type, et cetera. Um, but in terms of supplementation, so I like to get, again, as much as I can through whole food, but I've been doing this a long time. And when I do my lab testing, I know that people are deficient in their B vitamins, their vitamin C, and a lot of the other nutrients they need. So I use a, a product every day called daily nutritional support. It's all my vitamins. It's all my minerals. It's detox cofactors, uh, which are great, like sulforaphane. It's an extract from broccoli for the liver. And, um, and it contains 15 grams of plant-based protein. So I literally, I make a, I make a smoothie every single day, easy, simple. So that's just kind of a feel safe. And then I like to use omega threes. Um, I, again, I've run over 10,000 inflammation tests that look at people's omega sixes to omega threes. And I can tell you that very few people are below a five to one ratio of omega sixes to omega threes. Even if they say they're eating grass fed, grass finished meat, pastured chicken, pastured eggs, et cetera. It just, they're usually, they're, they're not bad. They're like a 6.7. Like if they're eating well to one, we want people ideally a three to one omega sixes to omega threes. So I just add in two grams, not mega doses of any of these supplements, just two grams of omega threes a day. Super simple for the, for the bigger, um, protein eaters, bodybuilders. I use three grams a day. So again, nothing massive, just a little bit more to offset the arachidonic acid. And then vitamin D is absolutely crucial. So if you're not maintaining a tan year round, then you're most likely deficient in vitamin D. One of the most important things for the immune system. Um, everybody always talks about then vitamin K and magnesium. All of those are already in the daily nutritional support. So they're already balanced there to get the, the calcium into the bones. Then if I had to name maybe one more, maybe two, 
Um, I don't think most people get a varied a variety of fruits and vegetables in their diet. So I mm -hmm. use the daily fruit and vegetable blend. It's 22 different fruits and vegetables. They're organic because I eat the same, like basically fruits and veggies every day. So it just gives me more variety. And the last one would be zinc, believe it or not. Uh, most people are, are very deficient in zinc and, and sometimes copper. So we use a product called Balanced Zinc. It's very inexpensive, but that'll allow you deeper sleep, better tissue repair, better recovery from workouts and more buffer to stress uh, for immunity. So I'm a big advocate of that. Again, I don't believe in mega dosing of nutritional supplements, but I do believe that there are a handful of products for every person that will be a complete game changer in terms of energy, uh, ambition, and drive for sure. Yeah, I love it. I love that that list. I want to go a little bit more into omega-3s because I think that, like you said, most people's diets are way out of balance when it comes to what maybe the desired omega-3 to omega-6 ratio is. Talk to us about what the omega-3 foods are, like whole foods are, rather than supplementation so people can understand like, oh, wait, well, yeah, I'm really am not consuming uh, enough of that stuff. But then also, what are the actual benefits biologically of making sure that we're optimizing our omega-3 to omega-6 ratio? 100%. So um, think of like, even I work with people that are like all carnivore and then also all vegan. It's like all sides of the spectrum. I and mean, we work with literally everybody. But just because you're vegan and plant-based doesn't mean you have a good omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Because a lot of plant-based foods, nuts, seeds, et cetera, are higher in omega-6s than omega-3s. So it's not automatic that you have a great you know, ratio with being plant-based. Um, and then on the other flip side, obviously, the more meat and nuts and those types of things you may eat, the more arachidonic acid you're going to have, which it's, it's okay to have some. Like that's the thing. I'm not saying it's not. But when it's not balanced it can lead to much higher levels of what are called prostaglandin series two. So basically um, you're looking at other, we're going back to inflammation, other factors that increase inflammation in the body. So if you want to buffer those prostaglandin series two, you can do that with omega-3s and you, the best sources of omega-3. So yes, you can get some from flax and chia and a few other uh, vegan-based sources, algae, et cetera but they don't convert really well to EPA and DHA. They really don't. I, I, when I use a vegan-based omega-3 with people, I have to use a very large dosage, which I don't like to do. And just to get it, just to, get it to flow down and actually work. So I like to use uh, a fish oil. I like it to be mercury-free, cold processed, non-oxidized, triglyceride-bound. So that's kind of like what you're looking for. We use something called daily omega-3 support. Now from whole food, wild salmon, wild trout, mackerel, sardines, and anchovies. In our practice, again, running over 10,000 of these labs, those are basically the five fish that if you eat four times a week or so, you'll, you'll be in proper ratio. It's just most people don't eat those wild fish or smaller fish with the skin because uh, you need the, the skin. A lot of the omega-3s are in the skin. Um, that's mm -hmm. what enables you to really move the needle. So, and I didn't learn this. I learned this in like 2012, we'll say. I had a client come in and she had an amazing ratio. She was like 3.1 to one. I'm like, are you taking an omega-3 supplementation? That's the only time I ever see it. And she's like, no. I was like, tell me about your diet. She's like, well, and she goes through it. She's like, every day at lunch, I eat a can of sardines. And I was like, that's unbelievable. I'm like, there we go. And so I just started to look into like, how much do you actually need? It's not quite a full can of sardines, but it's about a handful serving for each individual of one of the fish that I just named. Gotcha. What? is the difference between people who, between consuming wild caught salmon, 
and farm-raised salmon? What, what kind of difference is that going to provide from like a micronutrient standpoint, maybe an omega-3 standpoint? What, what kind of difference is that going to uh, have on our body? Slash, if people are eating farm-raised, why should they be eating wild-caught? So it's it's a tremendous difference. It's the difference of a ratio maybe in that fish of like a three to one um, versus an 18 to one of omega-6 to omega-3s. It, it's radically different. Farm-raised salmon. Now, I want to be careful here because I believe in the future that we will be eating a lot more farm-raised salmon. It will be a lot healthier. I think that we're going to net off areas of the ocean and grow salmon there and have them live a healthier lifestyle with real filtration of water. Then mm -hmm. what we do now is farm salmon. It sounds like, oh, they're on this little farm. No, they're in plastic swimming pools being fed all sorts of soy and junk and swimming in their own feces. Like it's, it's deplorable. These are not healthy fish. And then when they pull them out, if they didn't dye them or use coloring, they wouldn't be pink. Like the, the flesh would literally be gray because the, mm -hmm. the pink comes from the astaxanthin and those omega-3s. And so you don't get that when they're farmed because they're not eating um, a lot of the other nutrients that essentially would get to those omega-3s. So I think we have to be really careful with where our food comes from. And that's why I'm not afraid to do you know some frozen-based foods because I know where the source is coming from, even if I can't have it fresh all the time. I like to get local organic produce. That's amazing. But I can't always do that for my meat and my fish. So sometimes I'll get frozen salmon. Plus, um, I don't, I'm not against frozen salmon as well because oftentimes these fish have parasites. So if you freeze it and then you cook it well, then you don't have to worry about the parasites as much too. So that's always it. Mm. One more question before I get to the last one and still on omega-3s. You mentioned how optimizing your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is important. Ideally, it's closer to maybe three to one. Is that because of the anti-inflammatory properties of omega-3s versus the inflammatory properties of omega-6. What are the other benefits? I've heard cellular health. I've heard brain health. Talk to us about maybe the other reasons why omega-3s are healthy for our body. Yeah, you're exactly correct. So um, it all goes back to inflammation and omega-3s are a buffer of inflammation in the body. But like, if we look at that, let's look at what are the top five causes of mortality that if you don't get one of those, you'll likely live closer to 90 to 100 years, legitimately. Like humans aren't meant to die at 74 years for men and 77 for women. You're not. We die from cardiovascular disease, uh, stroke with high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, cancer, and Alzheimer's. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, across the board, high levels of omega-6s to low levels of omega-3s exacerbate all five of those, every single one. Omega-3s, there's a reason why conventional medicine, they obviously, they, they don't want anything to do with natural health. They literally give out prescriptions for omega-3s now. That's even conventional medicine knows how important wow. they are. So, and now they only give them after a heart attack, which is crazy. Like, well, why don't we prevent the heart attacks in the first place? And so um, I'm very bullish on omega-3s. You need to make sure they're from a good source, that they're heavy metal free, that they're non-oxidized, that they're triglyceride bombs, basically like eating the fish, right? They're coming from a sustainable source and you don't do omega-dose. Um, so, cause people always talk about lipid peroxides and oxidation. You don't need to worry about that from a clean source. And also people are worried about like, oh, omega-3s and cell membrane damage. We're talking about two grams a day. Like we're literally talking about a very small amount. You don't want to overdo these things and they can be extremely healthy for your health. So yes, brain health, cardiovascular health, blood sugar regulation, hormone regulation, skin health, 
Omega-3s are a vital, these are literally fatty acids that help with the membranes of your cells. So they're vitally important to the body uh, in that right balance. So as I always say is, I don't need to, I don't like to, I don't necessarily get into debates with people. I, I mean, I like chatting about health in general, but I always just say, I don't know if you need omega-3s or not. Like, let's just literally run the lab test. You can do it right at home. And then you'll know if you need omega-3s. You don't need me to tell. Like, literally the lab will be there. And I'm like, oh, you're an eight and a half to one ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s. Do you think that you need more omega-3s? Like, it's not even for me to tell you. I will just show you. Here's how it stacks up. One more statistics I want to share with you. People yeah. that have a 9% saturation rate of, of um, highly unsaturated um, omega-3s in their blood had a 90% risk reduction rate of cardiovascular death. Wow. Amazing statistic. It's the number one killer of all humans, cardiovascular. And this, you just having 9% saturation of blood can reduce that by 90%. It's pretty amazing. Mm. I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, well, before I ask the last question, Dr. Cabral, I just want to acknowledge you. I think that the work that you're doing really allows people to actually take a look inside of their biology and see how to personalize their health, fitness, and lifestyle approach to themselves. Because I think that there's a lot of great information out there and plenty of information around like general guidelines of what we all should be doing. But the like you said, like you started off with, while wild caught salmon is a super healthy food, generally speaking, maybe certain people are going to have inflammatory responses to it. And so being able to learn how to personalize the approach to you, your biology, your genetics and everything like that is super critical. And you and your team and everything is doing such great work in that area. So I just want to commend you and acknowledge you for all that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I do have an amazing team. Uh, they see people every day inside of our practice. We, you know, we've reached now well over a quarter million people and, uh, and they're a big part of that. So we, we appreciate them for sure. Thank you. Yeah. So I know people are going to be interested in like, I need to do a food sensitivity test and I might need to do, learn more what other tests I might need to do. Where can people go learn more about how to get some of these tests? Because I've loved the food sensitivity test that I got. Like I said, like you said, it's super easy, quick and easy to do. Put it in the mail, ship it right back. You get your response in a week or two and it's awesome. So where can people learn how to do that? So all the labs really kind of outline as to what they are. Just a short summary is at stephencabral.com, which is my website. So stephencabral.com slash labs. And that'll be just the different labs that we offer. Now, I know that um, my team is connecting with yours uh, to make sure we give something great for your community. We always try to do that. It's like our goal is to say, if you've never even heard of functional medicine lab testing before and at-home lab testing, we just want to introduce you to it. Um, it. It is the only reason I got well. So you don't get better from autoimmune issues and Addison's disease and I had type 2 diabetes. You don't recover from these things unless you figure out what caused it in the first place. Like what are the underlying root causes? So I said to myself, and it was at 19, I didn't get better till 27, but I said, if I ever get better, I will share this with the world. And so I'm trying to make good on that promise. So this is what we lead with. We're saying, there's a lot of people who can offer you a lot of different things. We want to help you personalize your health. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. We will definitely uh, connect and make sure how people can learn how to get these food sensitivity tests. So y'all make sure you check out the show notes. There's going to be information on there and how you can get access to it and everything like that. You also need to make sure you're following him on social media at Stephen Cabral. Um, and last question here, uh, Dr. Cabral is it's a hypothetical question. If for whatever reason you were only able to do three healthy habits for the rest of your life, for whatever reason, you couldn't do all the things that you wanted to do. You had to boil it down to three things that you feel like are going to make the most significant impact on your long-term health. What are those three healthy habits that you would do? Mm, that's a great question. Only three. I would then have to draw upon 
what has worked for the largest amount of people for the longest period of time to help them live a long, healthy life? So I would then move over to like, what are they doing in the blue zones? And I would have to say that they are spending time with family and enjoying their life, having a sense of purpose. The second, as I would say, they walk a lot during the day. They like walk 10,000 to 13,000 steps minimum. And the last one is that they're predominantly plant-based. And I know people don't like to hear that, but that's okay. Uh, I like to just at least share what I see in terms of data. Doesn't mean you can't eat some meat. Doesn't mean you can't eat some fish. Doesn't mean you can't eat eggs, any of those things, but predominantly plant-based. So I'd walk, spend time with people I love and predominantly plant-based. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, I appreciate that. Like I said, I really appreciate the personalized approach because I think that we can only get to certain levels of health without learning more about our inner workings. Like you said, we don't necessarily know what, most of us don't know what optimal health look feel, looks like, feels like, because we can continue to learn new things. We continue to unlock new things. We continue, continue to implement new things into our life. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. So you guys make sure you check out the show notes to learn about how you can access some of these tests that can really allow you to unlock your potential with your own health and everything like that. But Dr. Cabral, that's all we got today. Thank you so much for all your time. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time as well. Man, I absolutely love how informative that interview with Dr. Cabral was. There were so many amazing takeaways that we can start doing today to start optimizing our own personal health. If you're looking for a fresh start with your health and fitness goals in 2024, then be sure to join the 10-week transformation starting January 22nd so you can feel confident in your body and you can have habits that will support you for the entire rest of the year. Just go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to sign up today. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to sign up today. And remember, if you want to take your own food sensitivity test, you can save $120 by going to stephencabral.com slash best you. Now, some of my biggest takeaways from the interview with Dr. Cabral were the following. Number one, inflammation manifests itself differently in all of us. It can manifest itself based on our genetics, based on pain that we are already experiencing, other sources of inflammation we're experiencing, and more. Also, remember that inflammation can be a good thing for our body because it's a proper immune response to danger. But when it comes from unwanted places and when it comes in excess, it can have major health issues from autoimmune disorders, thyroid fatigue, hormone issues, weight gain, and more. Also, we really never know what our optimal health looks like because there's always more that you can learn about yourself to improve your current state of health so never feel like you've actually reached optimal performance and remember eating whole foods are important but a lot of us would benefit from taking supplements that include b vitamins vitamin d omega-3s and more make sure to optimize your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio by eating wild caught fish and supplementing with a healthy fish oil if that works best for you if you can do these things, it will help you get closer to the healthiest version of you and ultimately closer and closer to your best you.